Well, howdy there. It's Tuesday night, which means it's True Crime Tuesday on Failure to Stop. Tonight, something for which we can all be truly thankful. The story of Marvin Heemeyer and the Killdozer. The growing calls across the nation to defund the police. Policing as we know it. Off the charts violence in New York City. 11 people shot in just eight hours on this is Sunday. About the police officers, officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it. Guns up, getting up. To all others, hello and welcome to Failure to Stop True Crime. Failure to Stop is our network. It's the number one podcast and platform where we entertain and inform first responders and our friends. Kendra and I are both first responders. Kendra, our host, is a former police officer. I'm an active 911 dispatcher in the field. The whole purpose of Failure to Stop is that we bring a uh, slant to the news and other things from a pro-law enforcement perspective. The mainstream media out there and other news outlets and other media sources are not in favor of first responders and police. That's what we do here. Uh, We're going to talk today about the classic case from 2004. You've probably heard of it, given who our main audience is. But Marvin Heemeyer, Granby, Colorado, who took a bulldozer and set out to set things right. Our host is Kendra Drama, my ex-wife. I've also been forbidden from mentioning our divorce ever again in future episodes. Kendra, uh, how are you doing? Have you? Uh, we're heading into Thanksgiving this week. Have you? Is school done for you, or where are you at? Yeah, so I actually just switched to online, so now I get to never have a vacation and just always <laughs> do school. <laughs> uh, I kind of know what you're talking about. Uh, it used to be the case where. Uh, I used to do just one show on failure to stop. It's so like I worked one day a week and then uh, I started doing more around here. And now it's, uh, I have to do something every day and I have to do something to prepare for tomorrow. And so uh, now, you know, I get to work from, from home, you know, I get to do this as a part-time job, but I work every day, (laughs) you know, know? I don't don't really get a, I don't really get a day off where I don't have to think about, uh, uh, what's going on with the podcast, which is okay because I love working around here, but it uh, it can it can be taxing to always have that. So I understand that. Uh, you have any uh, cool Thanksgiving traditions that you're looking forward to this year? Any, anything or anything fun that you've done in the past? A, a class, a classic drama family Thanksgiving <laughs> tradition. The only real, uh, you know, as you get older, some of the traditions from your childhood and young adult years go away. So the only thing that's really stuck. Um, is my mom and I get up really early to make, start making stuff. And, um, she makes these daiquiris and we just start drinking at 7am when we start making up food. That's the only thing that's stuck so far. So (laughs) I think we're going to continue that this year. (laughs) Can't drink all day if you don't start in the morning. There's a couple, uh, Bates family traditions. Uh, I guess number one is that I still, to this day, I'm almost 40, but to this day, I still eat Thanksgiving dinner at a card table by myself, separated from the others. Um, this is a family tradition. Uh, 
Probably okay. my, my my fondest Thanksgiving memory was I used to be very into like the parade until I realized that just mm. what utter nonsense that was. I used to think that was a big deal um, when I was a little kid. Um, probably my favorite Thanksgiving ever was I remember one year we were all up and my mom was cooking away. And my mom kind of got miffed about something and she kind of started getting more and more upset. And it was a weird moment because like, I didn't really, it didn't really bother me that she was upset. It didn't bother any of my sisters. My dad also didn't care. And so she starts kind of getting more and more animated and she starts yelling. And uh, finally she throws a spoon against the wall and storms off to her bedroom. And we didn't see her again until Monday. So it was probably the best Thanksgiving ever. Um, you well, know, we were, you know, our family was sort of, we didn't, we didn't come together in a, a lot. We didn't have a lot of common ground as a family, which is why we have spread to the four corners of the earth. But I remember <laughs> being united uh, in dislike for my mother with my, with my father and my sisters and her just shutting up and staying in her room for the full weekend was probably the best Thanksgiving that we ever had. It was a good one. Uh, you know, Thanksgiving actually took on a, a darker turn when I got older. I should find this picture. I wish I had it ready. I didn't think to do this but once i started working at target thanksgiving became very dark time because i had to go to work friday and i will never forget uh the day after thanksgiving at target back in the day before amazon when all the mm -hmm. shopping was done in person i'll send you a picture when we're done uh there's a picture of me you would think it's from the set of the movie 300 but it's actually just me at target and it's right when they open the doors at 6 a.m and i'm the security guard and i i am alone and i am rushing forward with my arms out into a throng of hundreds and hundreds of people. Oh my like, God. When my boss saw this picture, he says, you realize you pretty much assaulted those people, right? I'm like, if I what didn't do that, I would have, I would have been trampled. And we actually had a, a, a woman once who was before the doors opened, people were pushing so hard against the store. There was a woman who was being crushed to the point where she threw up. It was so insane. And then and then another year, uh, uh, once the decompression had happened and people were inside the store, I, I was my job was to be up near the front. And uh, I saw just a random shoe. Some person had lost a shoe and had left it behind. They were walking around the store with one shoe on because the deals were just so good. And we heard stories of people punching each other out over at Marshall Fields over a sweater and things like that. It was truly amazing. Um, the last year that I did it, um, we had a leadership group from Target come into town and, and come to our store on Friday. These were some very, very powerful upper management people. I told them, like, listen, you've got to see the footage from this morning because the, I showed them the outside camera of the crowd outside. And when the doors open, there was an orderly line that I had set up. I had asked for barricades, you know, so that the line doesn't just once the doors open, we don't just go full, you know, no man's land, full purge. Society's crumbled. It's exactly what happened. Of course, the doors open. The line, it just turns into a stampede. People are at the back of the line. They start running up along the line to get inside. And, I, I'm, and I've showed this to them in fast forward because they could see like the, the th hundreds and hundreds of people coming inside, which I'm sure we were in violation of the fire code, whatever. <laughs> I think that's what led to them building a second target in town was that they could, they could see that like we needed just a pressure relief out. We had so many. So. Just a lot of a lot of good good and weird memories, but Thanksgiving for many years was ruined for me because I had to I had to leave whatever the family event was and go home and go to sleep early, 
so that I could get up early and deal with people who would would willingly leave their families to go shop, which I vowed I would never do. Kendra, were you a, a Black Friday shopper at any point? When I was a kid, it, yeah. people weren't as people just were not as crazy. I don't know what happened, but uh, when you were a kid, was probably at the same time that I'm talking about. So. <laughs> Maybe I just don't remember it, but. Uh, this would have been like 2005, 2006, 2007. Okay, yeah, that would be about the time that I was going. And we would always yep. go, yeah, we'd go to Denny's in the morning for breakfast. And then we'd go shopping in our PJs, me and my cousins. You and I have no common ground. That All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to work on Thanksgiving a lot. Where did you work? When I was a deputy. Oh, when you were a cop. Okay, right. Yeah, I used to take the day. Well... I didn't have a family and a lot of the guys on my shift did. So I would take Christmas and Thanksgiving and stuff like that. So I did the same thing too. When, mm-hmm. when I became a 911 dispatcher, I worked on the holidays cause I didn't, I was just fresh off of my real divorce and uh, shattered. <laughs> I didn't have anything to do. So, uh, you know, I just uh, decided to work. I will say that uh, my first year when I was a security guard at target, uh, I had asked for a directed patrol through the parking lot by police. Mm-hmm. And at one point, the police do show up and they talk to me. And the, I'll never forget this. The officer rolls down the window. He goes, do you want me to just drive by and pepper spray everyone? <laughs> get them all. Get me. I don't care if I'm a casualty at war of that. But by all means, please, please nice. diminish their, their ability to rush the store. So that was uh, actually what's interesting is, is that um, there was a woman who was in line. Uh, that that same morning and I was talking to her quite a bit because it was my job to work the crowd which whatever that means and I was talking to her and I remembered her later because she was a captain at the state penitentiary and she did my interview when I became a correctional officer and she was asking about a time where I had to deal with some kind of stressful situation and I said well you were there and she goes well what do you mean by that and I said, well, do you remember the day after Thanksgiving at Target this year? Do you remember, you know, the all the people running around and I had to try to control them? And I guess so. So that that Black Friday helped me get a job that was my entry point into the criminal. <laughs> awesome. What a great it's funny memory. how it all comes and how it all comes back around. Do you want me to get into the ad reads so we can finally start talking about Marvin Hemeyer? Sure. Let's do that, John. All right. This show is brought to you by Ghostbed, folks. Ghostbed is a mattress company that supports Failure to Stop. They've been around since way back in the beginning, since uh, long before I got here. They're a longstanding sponsor and uh, supporter of Failure to Stop. They like first responders, police officers, firefighters, dispatchers. Folks, go over to ghostbed.com. Use the offer code WOLFPACK. You can save 40% on your mattress or whatever it is you're buying there. And it helps the podcast. Uh, if you go to their website and you see better deal than that, because Ghostbed, frankly, is offering many deals all the time, go ahead and go with the deal that you find on the website. Make sure you put in the comments that uh, the Wolfpack sent you so that they can, so that they know that you're a fan of Failure to Stop and that they'll continue to invest in our program and we'll continue to advertise for them. That's how this works. As I've said before, if uh, Ghostbed decides to cut ties with us, I will become a slave. And if you are against human slavery, please go to <laughs> Ghostbed. Buy uh, a cooling a cooling pillow, cooling sheets, an adjustable mattress frame, or one of their delightful mattresses that's designed to give you the best sleep ever. And of course, these mattresses and all of their accessories are made in the good old USA. 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 Why can't USA. I don't know. We were just. We weren't. We were off by a whole 
we had two letters we were off i feel like uh winston and nick from new girl when they're trying to like say the same thing at the same time and they just can't maybe you don't know what i'm talking about never mind continue i love that show uh much of it anyway <laughs> um anyway so go over to ghostbed.com use the offer code wolfpack and you can support failure to stop it sleeps so good but it's scary Anyway, go over to Ghostbed. Also supporting us, Factor Meals is back. We know that this week you're looking forward to Thanksgiving. You don't have to eat a Factor Meal on Thanksgiving, but you could if you want to, particularly if you're a deputy or a 911 dispatcher and you're going to work that day. Uh, this is uh, a meal that you could take with you to work and you feel maybe like you're not missing out so much. Uh, go over to Factor. Use the offer code WOLFPACK50. You can get 50% off. Uh Folks, they have over 300 meal choices. You can customize how many meals you want delivered to your door, what kind of meals you want. You could pick them out. I mean, uh, my favorite was the Parmesan chicken. Uh, you can get them delivered right to your door in an era where you just don't have time. And in Bidenomics at the grocery store and the inflation and the sticker shock when you get to the point of sale. Uh, we had a call last night for someone dying at Sam's Club. I'm convinced that that's what exactly what happened is that they saw how much their groceries cost them and it just put an end to it. It's just easier to die to, to pay for these groceries. <laughs> Factor meals will bring it right to your door. Uh, and, and you know, I don't want you to, to go over to Factor meals and see sticker shock, which is why we have the offer code, the offer code. But just remember, like I said, in an era where you don't have time, the gas, uh, the money for groceries, it comes out as pretty competitive. They're going to send you a fresh meal. It's not frozen. We're not hawking hungry man dinners. So they're going to send you fresh, not frozen meals. You could take that, put it in the microwave for two minutes. Tastes just like something mom would make. As far as I know, no McCormick spices in there whatsoever, although they, I'm, they might. I have no idea. Um, go over to Factor Meals. You can feed yourself right. Don't be a chump. Uh, you're already working hard as a first responder. You deserve a good meal. Thanks for supporting Factor Meals because they support us. All right, Kendra, 2004. John. Kendra, John. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but this we are a podcast. Uh, we are compelled to do this by the court. We are not friends. So we're not happy to do this. So it's a I hate him. For us. I would never say those words. <laughs> that is a dagger <laughs> to me. Sorry. Even I, as a joke, I would not say that. I unhate so, you. I unhate you now. So. Really have moral victory in this one. <laughs> Marvin Haymeyer is uh, a native of South Dakota, comes from a small town in South Dakota, and he moved out to uh, Colorado. And uh, he did a brief stint in the Air Force, just like BTK. Not drag a direct comparison there, but we are beginning to notice a little bit of a pattern with uh, people who um, are sort of endlessly <laughs> self-justifying. You know that they they have uh, a history of being in the Air Force. It's, it's just a pattern. It's it's it's. Correlation, but not causality at this point. Um, Kendra and I were discussing at some point establishing uh, the Drew Breezy uh, <laughs> Serial Killer Hall of Fame. Uh, Marvin, you know, if you know the case, you know he didn't kill anybody. So he he's at best an honorary member. Or He killed one person. He, he, he killed himself. You're right. Yeah, his, <laughs> his, his body count was one and his kill per day ratio was one to one, which isn't bad. You know, 100% days of engagement um you know that's that's case in point btk killed 10 people over 30 years he was barely killing anyone per day if you average it out whereas marvin, well, he was a loser <laughs> yes marvin's not a loser though marvin's a successful businessman marvin uh is uh 
someone who did pretty well for himself. I don't think he had high aspirations of becoming the most wealthy person in the world, but he did pretty well for himself. He enjoyed his leisure activities. He liked to go snowmobiling. Uh, after the Air Force, he uh, goes out to Colorado. He will, loves the mountains. I don't know if you know this about eastern South Dakota, but it is flatter than almost anywhere on Earth. Uh, so he loves the mountains. I could see why he would fall in love with that. Uh, he uh, starts working in a muffler shop uh, in the suburbs of Denver or, or thereabouts goes into business for himself. Um, some, just as the years go on, that kind of changes. He had, ends up opening a, a muffler shop in Granby, Colorado. He has another muffler shop and I think in a nearby town, but what is happening in Granby is the important part of the story. Uh, the FDIC, the federal deposit insurance company, which is like a federal entity, which insures banks, uh, is doing an auction. And they're selling off this property in Granby, Colorado. And uh, so Marvin Hemeyer decides he's going to attend this auction. Do you remember what year that was, Kendra? Uh, this all started? 92. It's a long time ago. <clears throat> I forget uh, sometimes the, the the long story of Marvin Hemeyer actually takes place over 12 years. So mm -hmm. as you're listening to the story, just remember... This is something that, that took quite a long time uh, to get from the start to the end. So he goes and goes to this uh, property auction and uh, he ends up buying it for, I think, what was it? 32,000 or something, or was it slightly more than so that? His, he went there to buy it for a friend who ended up backing out and he gave him like, they thought it was going to go for 66, but he bought it for like half. Yeah. Like I think it was in the thirties, 30 range. 32. I think I think it was around 32 for two acres so of land. Right. So, I mean, yeah. that's a decent. <laughs> it's not bad. And it's in an improved part of Granby. It's in an area where at least it's partially zoned for, you know, businesses and industrial things. So um, he could do business there. Uh, I'm sure that's what his intention was to do. I don't know if he wanted to build a you know, place to keep his parts or to build another muffler shop there or whatever it is he wanted to do. He was an industrious person for sure. Um, but, uh, accounts on this vary and some people say it never happened, which the, the only people alive today to say it never happened. It's completely in their interest to say that it never occurred. The only person who could really attest to that is Marvin Hemeyer, who left his testament on the form of an audio tape that survives today, uh, to help us give insight into what happened. Obviously he made this tape which is unlovingly called a manifesto by the people who don't like Marvin Niemeyer. But he explains that uh, this guy, Cody to Doshef, uh, who is uh, well, his family is well established in the town, comes to him after the auction. And in Marvin's own words, he's a he's an asshole. And he Cody makes a claim that the property belongs to him through some kind of Granby birthright or by some sort of code of ownership that obviously isn't legally recognized. And Marvin says, well, you know, the, they, they estimate the value of the land to be about $66,000. So if you want to buy it from me, like he was open to the idea of selling it and pay me $66,000. You can look at this in one of two ways. Uh, one, him just being a, a reasonable businessman saying this land's no longer an auction. If I'm going to sell it, I'm going to sell it at market value plus some profit for me, which obviously mm -hmm. his profit is outstanding if he's going from 32 to 66. He's, he's, you know, doing a turnkey operation here in which he's doubling his money. Uh, but Marvin, since he said that Cody was an asshole from go, I think Marvin made a decision about him. We'll find that Marvin is a person of 
really strong convictions, whatever else you want to say about him and different people say different things. He had a strong conviction and Cody made a bad impression. Cody made an enemy and uh, I don't think it was the right thing for Cody to do. I don't think you should, uh, you should come to someone who, who rightfully won an auction and uh, confront them and say that you had some kind of right to win that auction instead of him, because the whole point of an auction is that the highest dollar wins, right? seems fair and square, right, Kendra? Well, that and the reason why it was at auction is because it got foreclosed on. So maybe you should have paid your bills if you wanted to keep your land. I'm just saying. Yeah. Is that what it was? Is that it, the land had actually already belonged to Cody Dochev and then it was that's, foreclosed upon? That's the story that I gathered. Okay. It so. could be That could be why Cody has a sense of propriety over it, that he thinks it's already his land. Maybe, he, maybe it was his view that um, everyone knows that it's his land. It's being auctioned off. And he's going to buy it for, maybe he did this on purpose. He figured that uh, the amount that he owed on it, that it could go to auction and he could purchase it outright at auction for less than what he owed on it. And so in his mind, this is almost like a a balance transfer on a credit card, you know, where he's simply trying to rearrange his finances. However, the risk that you take when you do that is that someone else can come in and buy in the land, which is exactly what Marvin did. It's, I almost wonder the internal politics of that. If everyone knew that Cody was just trying to, uh, to reorganize his finances uh and mm. but marvin took advantage of that which i don't i don't think was i don't think that's unethical like i said it's an auction yeah it's a free it's f- free market for anybody to come in and whoever bids the highest and i don't think that um cody was financially prepared uh to match i think he probably honestly with your point it makes sense because he went there um with another person with a friend of his and they, I think they intended on buying it back and they probably didn't realize like, Oh, somebody's going to outbid us and they weren't prepared. And that pissed them off Yeah, because their plan didn't work out the way they thought it would. I would actually wager that that's exactly what happened is that uh, he, he wanted it to go to auction so that he could reorganize the, you know, it's almost refinancing it. Mm -hmm. So he has a falling out with Cody Dochev. Well, a well-established person in the town. Okay. So stop me if I'm skipping ahead because the, the timeline on this is over 12 years and uh, there's a lot of town politics going on and it can be very difficult to get this all right. I'm going to strive to get the details right, but you know what? This is an entertainment podcast and if I get it wrong, just shoot me a message and I'll correct myself later. I am not here to educate you about the history of Marvin Hemeyer. If you want to watch the documentary Tread, I've seen that. That's a pretty good one. But the city fathers, meaning the town council and uh, whoever their power brokers are, their movers and shakers, the people who aren't in an elected office, uh, they tell Marvin Hemeyer, hey, and this property, just so you know, uh, you cannot use this for commercial purposes until you get it hooked up to city and water, city water and sewage. Uh, so what does that mean to Marvin? What it means is that he has a perfectly fine piece of land that has sewage and water on it. He's got a well there. He's got a septic system. So it's self-sufficient in terms of what he needs in terms of water and dealing with uh, his, his sewage. And they're saying, hey, you need to hook up to the city. I'm sure this would piss him off because number one, there's a lot of costs involved in laying some 400 feet of water and sewage pipes. That's gonna cost him tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, it's between 60 city. and 80. Yeah, it's not it's not the city that's going to pay for this. It's it's him and the city saying, "Hey, we're compelling you to do this." So it almost feels like robbery, right? 
what's the difference between uh, a town elder coming up to you and saying, hand over you know, sixty, eighty thousand dollars, and a man coming up to you with a gun and saying, handing over sixty or eighty thousand dollars. There's, there's no difference in principle, right? You're being forced to turn over money against your will. It's, it's almost the same as robbery. It's force or coercion to deprive you of property. In this case, money. Well, uh, one, and, go ahead. And two, um, there was already. So like you said, there was already water and sewage on it. So the only real reason there was no like um, threat to anybody's safety. It wasn't like there was a real reason for them to compel him to pay. And it, it wasn't a reasonable amount of money. It was between 60 and $80,000 in 1992, which yeah, is that's a lot of money. You know, that's a lot of money. And they're basically saying like, okay, well, you can't use this land that you own simply because we need you to hook up to our sewage and um i understand that there are like environmental laws and things that come into play but this it was unreasonable what they were asking him to do yeah so the the other thing about it is obviously city water and sewage is a monopoly so it's not just you have to buy in to uh you have to pay this money to establish this infrastructure but now you're gonna be dependent on us you're we're gonna charge mm -hmm. you for water we're gonna charge you for sewage you know he's being he's <laughs> He's almost being robbed of his money and being forced to get a subscription to pay the city. You know, uh, it doesn't feel good. Um, I'll tell you a brief story of something like this that happened in real life. My grandfather owned a business in Albuquerque. It was called Albuquerque Break-In Alignment. They did alignment on big rig trucks. Um, my grandfather was an innovator. He's uh, someone that invented a special tool that is used uh, to do the alignment on big trucks. I actually knew the name of the tool at one point. He told me he made a million dollars on it. And I'm like, Grandpa, where's your million dollars at? He took me back to the tool room inside the shop. And he goes, here's my million dollars. And he reinvested it all in the business. He's got tools for working on all these trucks. All the money that he made off of that, he put back into the business. So my grandfather was someone very much like Marvin Haymeyer. There's another old story about him, how on one of his earlier business ventures, he had gone out of business. And he had to break the news to everybody on Christmas. So everyone's getting laid off at Christmas. And uh, he spent the entire day calling around to other contacts that he had, other business contacts, uh, making sure that everyone else could get hired on. So as Christmas approached, he told everyone, hey, we're going out of business, but I got good news. I've got new jobs for everybody here. Like I've got something lined up for you to go to so that you're not, you don't have to face Christmas unemployed. And ultimately the, that Christmas, the only person that was out of, out of job that year was my grandfather. So he's really a salt of the earth, great guy, everything I aspire to be. So one day the city of Albuquerque comes to him and says, hey, the street that your business is on uh, is a it's zoning violation for the number of fire hydrants that it has. It need." You need to, there needs to be a fire hydrant in front of your business. And so I'm sure my grandfather was like, well, by all means, put in a fire hydrant. Yeah. Why, why are you telling me about this? And they're like, you have to pay for the fire hydrant. Are you what? kidding me? Like, like the fire oh, hydrant tap, taps into city water and the fire hydrant is obviously used for firefighting emergencies, you know? Uh, so if the fire department needs to tap into water to extinguish a fire, that's where it would do it at the hydrant. And so my my grandfather was like, well, you know, that's not fair. Why are you pay, making me pay for something that's part of city infrastructure? And uh, they made him pay for it. And he said, well, OK, well, fine. I'm going to pay for it. But I'm telling you what, 
I'm going to put a chain and a lock in this fire hydrant so that we only use it in the case that Albuquerque break in alignment is on fire because I paid for it. So it's my, it, it's essentially my fire hydrant. And if my business, uh, business goes up next door, well then I guess they're shit out of luck. I guess they need to buy their own fire hydrants since that's, you know, apparently the standard. I don't know how serious he was being when he said that they needed to put it, that they were going to put a chain and a lock on it. It's a very Marvin Haymeyer move to do that. Obviously I don't think he'd be allowed to do it. And they, they of course told him no, that uh, the fire hydrant that he installs will be for the use of everyone on the street as appropriate. So that's a good example of a businessman who's trying to just be in business and the city putting in a fire hydrant is not cheap folks. And this was also back in the nineties. I don't know how much it costs. I just remember the story. And I remember him having to foot the bill for this piece of city infrastructure because they assessed it as needing to be on his property. And, but why, you know, I don't know the zoning code, but like, why was it on his property and not someone else's? That's and, what I was just going to uh, ask. Aren't, isn't, wouldn't it go on a city easement anyway? Why is he paying for that? You would think it would be in the right of way, right? Uh, you know, where the, I don't know. But but case in point today, like, you know, where I live, you build a, a you have to build the city sidewalk. Like you're required to have a sidewalk. It goes into the right of way. If it cracks or needs to be replaced, because every year we have terrible winters here, you have to pay for that. Same thing with a tree in the right of way. Between the, gra- between the sidewalk and the street, there's a stretch of grass. And you're required to have that. And if you have a tree there, and if it needs trimming, it's your responsibility to get it trimmed. If it needs to be cut down, it's your responsibility to have it cut. If you need the grass mode, it's your responsibility to do that. But if you wanted to put a fence around this and say, this is my property, I'm taking care of it, the city would say, no, that's part of the right of way. So. Mm-hmm. I get that there's a certain compromise somewhere between individual rights and the needs of society. Apparently that is in the right of way between your house and the street. Uh, but the reason why, I think that if we could pause for a second, I think the reason why Marvin Hemeyer is a hero to people who are sick of big government and uh, individualistic types uh, is because he said no. Uh, I think big government is very used to forcing businesses and people to just do whatever they want because they have the power to do that. Like I said, it's almost like robbery. Uh, You could tell Marvin Hemeyer or my grandfather that you have to pay this money to the city uh, to uh, affect some improvement to what is essentially part of the city and, and, you know, be beholden to the city in the case of Marvin Hemeyer for whatever water and sewage he's using. And uh, they just they feel like they have the power to mandate people to do that. Uh, in the county where I work, uh, there's quite a bit of that going on where a pipeline's coming through and the county's using eminent domain to just seize people's property uh, to put in this pipeline, which obviously benefits this huge oil company, which I'm pro-pipeline, actually. I think pipelines are better than driving oil trucks around because oil trucks tend to crash and explode or whatever. Um, but the but the idea of using eminent domain saying, well, this is all really just the county. And, you know, despite the fact that you have your property and you pay taxes on the property you own, we're also just going to take it whenever we want. Uh, the government has this attitude that they can just push people around and Marvin pushed back. And I think that's why people like him. the people that don't like Marvin uh, said he was deranged and a domestic terrorist, as we'll find out. Uh, but we'll we'll get back to the story. So. They tell him that he's got to do, uh, that he's got to pay for this and that he can't use the property until he does. Well, he's not paying to put in, he doesn't, I don't, I don't even know if he has the money to put in this sewer line and to put in this water line. It's 400 feet of this. So he can't use the property. So now he's paying property taxes on this big piece of property that he's not even allowed to use for commercial reasons. Kendra. Um, <laughs> 
Did I put you on the spot there? Well, I'm just thinking about my own run-ins with. Um, oh, by all means, I want to hear it. Just the, um, like you said, the first of all, the pipeline thing. Um, that is my first question: is what the fuck is um, property ownership? Then, if you if the government feels like they can just take it because they have a bigger interest, um, do you actually even own your property? And if you do, um, then you're allowed to defend it. Hmm? Exactly. Uh, a, a, co a cornerstone of this society was uh, uh, their basic rights are life, liberty, and property. That was mm -hmm. by John Locke. We changed it to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness because that sounded better. Uh, but we probably should have just left it as life, liberty, and property because those are the the sort of the unassailable rights that if you break down uh, all the other amendments, it's all fundamentally based on that you have the right to life, liberty, and your property. Uh, but the idea of property ownership in this country, uh, we have put up with way too much. The fact that you own a piece of property, the fact that you have to continue to pay taxes on it. And I'm not against the government ne levying necessary taxes for the common defense and the general welfare. That's right in the Constitution. I'm not against mm -hmm. that. I'm not against that in the Constitution. The problem is, what is the common defense? What is the general welfare? Uh, they have a heyday with that. They decide. It's in the yeah, general welfare. Well, tell me how it's in the general welfare that you know we lay down this pipeline. It's that that specifically benefits this oil company, which I don't hate the oil company. I'm I'm glad that we I want oil to be brought to this country in a cheaper way, right? I just right. think that there's a way there's a way to do the deal without just saying, well, we're just going to take your property. I think that that's that's insane you know, to me that they can even do that and not um it. How is that not illegal? Well, I feel like. Of, it is because of because of eminent domain, which is a legal, a, a legal. Uh, right. But there has to be some sort of line. Well, but. you know, pe people contest this in court and and they say, you know, this is my property and all this. And people do a lot of uh, nodding. Yeah. And I know people in government who 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 put them down. They're like, oh, they're these they're these people who believe in absolute property rights. And I'm just like, what if this was your house, dude? You know, it's easy for you to put down people as as extremists because they have they believe in absolute property rights like anything less than absolute property rights means you're some kind of communist if you believe that that the land belongs to the community or to the commonwealth or the greater good or the state which is all kind of the same thing that what you're saying is, is that the state has some sort of prevailing ownership over your property and then if that's true then there are no absolute property rights and we if there are no absolute property rights, then we live in a communist country. If anyone can come in and use your clothes, use your car, use your property, that's called communism. I don't. And understand. I know I sound like an extremist right now. I sound no. like Marvin Heemeyer or Ted Kaczynski or something. But I'm very much, I'm very much on the side of Marvin Heemeyer that the government should have no say over what goes on in his property. I don't know why they can say uh, that he can't use his business when he already has what he needs specifically to deal with his water and sewage. And it'd be one thing if you got sewage coming out of his property, if it smells, if we could see human waste and other problems, like let's assess taxes, let's deal with that at that point. But if, That's, if, there, yeah. if there actually isn't a problem, uh, we need to deal with it. And I guess what, what cheeses me off about the, the city of Granby is that, as we'll come to find, is that this Cody Dochev, who had a property to the south, Obviously, you know, it was all part of a contiguous property at some point. He decides he's going to build a cement plant. 
uh, Marvin is against this because for several reasons. He doesn't like Cody Dochev, probably being an underlying one. Uh, Cody has other property in the north side of town that he thinks would be better suited to heavy industrial stuff. Like if this isn't just the same thing as having uh, a business there, mm -hmm. uh, you have cement trucks going by, they're going to be heavier trucks. They're going to tear up the road more. There's going to be dust. There's going to be other concerns. Marvin brings this to the attention of the town and the town actually kind of goes along with him. Um, I think if, if you're going to, the town's going to be concerned about whether or not you have water and sewer. I think the town obviously cares about how your property is owned. Me as an absolutist, of course, I think property zoning is, is, uh, it makes sense for planning a community, but it, I think it's an overreach of power for them to say, well, you can and can't do this with your own property. Again, that's, I'm yeah. a, I guess I'm an absolutist when it comes to property rights. I think it would be stupid if I bulldozed my own house and like put a McDonald's here. Like it would just wouldn't make sense. Right. I think, I think the only, there's a line where, um, if it starts to, I'm a big believer in like, you can swing your arm as much as you want until you start hitting the person in front of and behind you. So yes. there's a line where it's like, yeah, you could do whatever you want, but if it starts to affect other people's property, like you, you're messing with drainage fields and, or if it's like an agricultural thing or something like that, where it's negatively affecting your neighbors, then I feel like that's when it's appropriate for the government to say you cannot do X, Y, Z. But outside of that, if this is my property, I don't understand how um, you wouldn't believe in absolute property because if you it's either yours or it isn't. Mm -hmm. There is no gray area. You, it either belongs to you or it doesn't. Yeah. And the second you allow people to walk on your property because of whatever eminent domain or whatever other reason it might be, that doesn't belong to you anymore. It yeah. just, it doesn't. So maybe that uh, is an extreme thing, but it just makes sense to me. <laughs> taking you on bets now as to whether or not Kendra will die in a kill dozer at some point. Uh, I will also die in a kill dozer. Um, <laughs> We're definitely going to get demonetized. <laughs> uh, maybe I almost, I, I'll check on this one. I'm going to, I don't always check back. I will check back on this one to see if we get labeled as like extremists or something. Oh my God. Uh, here we go. For, for, for our insane views that like, if you own property, it should be yours. It should be yours. I know that's pretty, that's pretty crazy to think, but who am I? I'm just a basic white girl that does true crime. You are, and I'm just uh, a guy that probably lives in a missile silo in Montana. Anyway, so they uh, so Marvin just ignores this and uh, tries to get to, he gets this uh, lawsuit going that temporarily halts the construction of the Dochev's uh, concrete plant. And this is where the Dochev's reach out and they say, "Hey, if you drop this lawsuit, uh, you know we'll buy the property from you." And I think it was something around fair market value, which at that point it had already increased. Uh, but again, we're way past that. It's not about money. It's about what's right or wrong. It's about being pushed around. It's about the cronyism that's going on inside the government. The Dochevs are in. They're part of uh, the Granby community. And Marvin, having moved there at age 40, uh, is not a part of it. I understand what that feels like, too. Uh, I dispatch in a small town. Most of my coworkers all live in that small town, and they all have known each other for years. Many of them have had prior associations outside of 911 and although I'm not treated badly at work I understand I understand inherently that I'm an outsider I can go to work and all these people will talk about the town goings on and it's understood that like 
my opinion on on a matter generally won't be appreciated and i have opinions on it i usually i, I usually will understand the the opinion of someone who's also an outsider there's people who come to town and uh because they're not part of the internal politics of being a local born and bred person in this town uh whenever they want to do something that's opposite of the residents or the local residents they're seen as outsiders they're seen as agitators and like i said i'm an absolute property rights guy that shows you where i stand on on most things and these people you know uh they'll stand up for themselves and they'll try to get the city to respect them in the same ways this is obviously maybe not as extreme as as this case but the way that the people who are local to this small town will talk about this person uh they treat him as an outsider as an agitator and uh they, they don't give they don't give fair credence to his ideas as being equally valid as, as theirs and it's because he, he has that outsider status so i immediately know exactly how marvin feels and how marvin's being treated kendra go ahead <laughs> i just wanted to go back real quick and make a point when you said that um the doshif said that um they would buy the land if he dropped the the lawsuit um i read and maybe i'm wrong but i read that um what they were what the deal was is that they would grant um, Marvin easement because when they began construction on this plant, which they did not have approval for from the city, by the way, at this point, it, it was going to block the main access to his business, um, which at one point he did sign a covenant saying that he would not operate on this property. I don't know if that was, that was in, uh, I have it here in 2002. I, I don't, I, I don't know when, um, the initial construction started. It could be before or after he already agreed. But regardless, um, this Doshif guy was like basically holding him hostage on his own land because he Marvin couldn't do anything. He couldn't even, he wanted to build a, another access to his, uh, like pave another road to his business yep. so that he could operate. And they said no. So yeah. the Doshifs were being or at least Cody anyway, was being um, very petty as well. Nobody talks about that. And he basically said, no, you can't do that. So when they started the construction, that's when Marvin decided he was going to sue. Um, yeah. And they that's when they said, well, we'll grant you some easement. Um, and I think Marvin at this point, like you were saying, it's a principle because again, this has been, this is over the course of many years. This is not like a six month long in, endeavor. This is something that Marvin's been dealing with for years at this point. Um, and he says, no. Fuck, yeah. fuck you and fuck your offer. Um, the print the point is that you're not you're not um acting within the confines of the law that you're requiring me to act within. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna sue you. Unfortunately, the lawsuit got dismissed by a judge, it, and that's ridiculous, it got, but whatever. It got it got dismissed, and then also case in point so cody dochef's building a, a cement plant and he did the it, he doesn't have all the permits he needs from the city so cody doesn't have everything he needs to do what he's doing and he's doing it with impunity marvin just wants to simply exist on this property not have these city lines hooked up and do his business there and just be left alone and the way that he had been alone. doing it he had the been already that, doing that by the way for years yeah which and then they said, you also no. had, you also have to wonder once marvin comes into ownership of this property only now is this property being assessed as problematic uh if cody dochef or whoever owned the property before that why is it the city of granby never cared if it had a sewage or water line prior to marvin owning it because obviously it never had had that before marvin owned it so 
Cody's being allowed to do what he's doing. Uh, there's, uh, there's an old phrase. Uh, there was a, uh, a, the secret chief of police and Joseph Stalin in Russia. His name was, uh, I'm going to get his name wrong, uh, Lavrentli Berea. And he had, a, he had a, a phrase, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. Obviously, Soviet Russia, very big uh, government and uh, impeding on individual rights there, communist. Uh, but they'll, basically, I think, is that they saw Marvin as a problem, and then they just started getting him for whatever they could get him for. Someone mm-hmm. looked at his property. They didn't like that he was trying to get gambling legalized there, which is another hands-off approach to your life, is that the government doesn't tell you. The government doesn't have prior restraint on gambling. And they said, well, what can we do to get rid of Marvin? Well, let's make it so he can't use his property. Let's make it so he has to pay all this money. And uh, so now, but because Marvin is a principled guy, he doesn't care that he's losing money paying taxes on this commercial property and not being able to use it for anything. He can't make revenue to offset the cost of these taxes. So he ends up paying something like $300,000 in taxes. And to top that all off, they started fining him $100 a day for every day that he didn't sign up for city water and sewer. And... um, Kendra, he eventually writes a check to them and he writes it to the cowards and liars department, which is something I would totally do. Uh, I should tell the story sometime of me battling the local government over a kayak. Um, I went very Marvin Haymire on it. I didn't, I didn't construct a killdozer or like an armored <laughs> kayak. Uh, I should, I should construct a, a, a 49 ton kayak, uh, armored kayak. Um, but um, I, I, for me, it was the principle, and I, and I kind of lost sight of the practical part of it. And I think that's the main thing people don't understand Mar- about Marvin Haymeyer's. For him, it was he was fighting for, for principles. It wasn't about money. I don't even think it was necessarily about property. But so what happens is he goes out to California, and he buys at auction a bulldozer. He puts it out on his property facing the Dochev concrete plant, kind of intimidating. He puts a for sale sign on it. What I thought was interesting is that a lot of people didn't understand why he bought this uh, bulldozer at auction and then he tried to sell it on his property. I can explain that to you. He has this bulldozer sitting out there. If it's just sitting there, I think it was sitting out there for well over a year, uh, someone could make a claim on it that's in an abandoned vehicle or a nuisance vehicle of some kind. It can be moved at that point or be required to be moved. Obviously, Marvin just wants to put it there as, as a symbol of him that I'm standing up to you, that I'm not going to put up with your shit, that I'm going to, I'm going to go right through you. So he puts a for sale sign on it because you're allowed to put a vehicle out there that's for sale indefinitely because you're marketing it as being for sale. So that's uh, in, in uh, the same small town where I work, uh, there's a, there was a, a, a Donald Trump for president sign, a huge, huge sign on the corner. In fact, I'm, I bet that some people were arguing that it you know impeded the view of traffic around the corner. And someone was trying to get have the city to take it down because they don't like Donald Trump. The election was already over and this guy won't take down this Donald Trump sign. This is kind <laughs> of right, right when it's being contested between November and January 6th. The sign's not coming down. And so they go to the city and they're trying to say like, hey, you know, can you get the sign taken down? Well, what ended up happening is that they put the sign up on a truck and then on the truck they put a for sale sign. So that the truck could stay there infinitely on this corner and they have the sign on it. The sign's just sitting on it. And now, you know, because of the same kind of legal loopholes, eminent domain, this time working in the favor of a guy who wants to just advertise for Donald Trump, even though the election's already over. <laughs> That's the reason why the for sale sign was on it was so that the city government could not could not come out and find a problem with him having this bulldozer sitting out there. 
so Kendra, what what happens next? I've I've told most of the story, but we're getting to the good part. I don't know if you want to talk about so, him uh, changing. So there's a point in time where Marvin says in his verbal, uh, I don't like calling it a manifesto either, but that's what the, that's the closest thing I can think of. Um, there there comes a point in time where he's basically. He's at his wits end and he's um, sitting in his hot tub reflecting on everything. And he says that God came to him and told him essentially um, gave him his purpose for being in Granby and going through the situation. And the purpose was to uh, basically show these people that they can't just do whatever they want without being punished for it. Um, the bulldozer that was purchased, I don't know. I want to say that he purchased it after he had this revelation, this epiphany. Probably. Um, I can't remember, but that would make the most sense. Um, over the course of like a year or something like that, he does sell, he, he tries to sell the property. Um, we're backtracking a little bit, but I just remembered this. Um, he does try to sell his property to Cody at, at some point. Um, and he, people criticize him because he would offer it and then back out and then come back with a higher asking price. And then Cody would agree. And then he would back out and come back with another price that was higher. Um, eventually he would ask for like a million dollars and Cody was like, I'm not going to do that. To me, it's like, uh, it's your land and you got it appraised and you want more. So who cares? But whatever. Um, so he's basically done everything to the best that he possibly can do to handle it the way that it's supposed to be handled the right way. He did, like you said, he paid his fines. He tried to, um, they sent the check back and he had to rewrite one. It was, they were messing with him at this point, I think personally, I believe so too as well. Yeah. Um, so he's done everything that he possibly can over the last like 12 years to get this, this shit taken care of the right way. Um, every, he feels like everyone's turned against him and he, he, he talks about how he like, walks the streets and people snicker and sneer at him. And every time he goes to the the town meetings, they like blow him off and then humiliate him in front of people. Um, so he, he has this epiphany and he starts making moves to basically um, bring this vision to fruition. That was unintentional yeah. rhyming. Um, his, but- his problem was, is that he, he viewed himself as being wronged. He views God in a a Calvinistic sense. He has very predestination ideas about how Mm -hmm. this was all basically scheduled to happen before he was born. But probably the biggest mistake in Marvin's thinking was that God is necessarily on his side. Now, God is holy and God is just, but his justice and his holiness is really above yours. Like, uh, you know, the idea that God is, is necessarily in line with your thinking is... Uh, the major reason why people can't come to Christian faith is because they assume that that God's way of doing or thinking uh, is uh, not as good as their own. And in that sense, that prideful sense, they make themselves their own God. Well, Marvin thought that God must be on his side and that God would certainly want to see unjust people punished. Problem is, is that God, of course, uh, instructs you specifically to forgive people that have wronged you. (laughs) And uh, so, so Marvin's making a mistake. But I wanted to just mention this part because so many people assail Marvin's logic. The thing is, is that you're really failing to understand him as a man when you do that. 
inside Marvin's internal logic, he's been wronged and he's standing up for himself. He's not crazy. He's not in a psychotic episode. He's not in a sustained psychotic episode that it takes to build this armored tank for over a year. Uh, people in psychotic episodes generally can't make long-term plans. Uh, but he's, he's, he's trying to assert for himself uh, justice. And I think just the problem with that is that people don't understand that he views himself as right. And with that self-justification that we all do all the time, we're always justifying ourselves is a lot of confirmation bias. So yeah. He would see he would see a lot of things where the property didn't get sold, the bulldozer didn't get sold. At one point, he puts those up for auctions. Uh, you know, X, Y, and Z didn't happen. People say, "Well, he was he testing God? Was he trying to see if God wanted him to back out of this plan that he had to to wage war in the town with his armored bulldozer?" What it is is that he already believes he's right. Uh, every time someone else backs down from him, like when they made offers to him, that actually there's a, such a thing as instrumental aggression, where you're trying to accomplish a good cause. And the more people back down, the more aggressive it makes you. Uh, a, a historic piece of uh, art, artifact of evidence for that would be when the British passed taxes on tea, on, tamp, on stamps, and on sugar, the story is in America that it made all of us colonials very angry. Well, the fact is, is that British Parliament actually, they repealed taxes on tea, on sugar, and stamps, and that only made us rowdier, right? So they started backing down, and that's what emboldened us and encouraged us to go to revolution. So as these people are making overtures, these olive branch gestures to him, uh, it only makes him more mad because they're seeing they're saying, well, let's deal with the property issue. Let's deal with the money issue. But at no point is anyone apologizing to Marvin yes. for the way that yeah. he's being treated. So yeah. no one at any point is dealing with what he perceives as the actual wrong, which is the orchestration or the cronyism against him, the things that Cody Dochev is allowed to do when he can't even be left alone. No one's addressing that. So no matter what they do mm -hmm. with the money or the property, it never, never goes to the heart of the issue for Marvin, which is the sense of him being wrong. Yeah. It's almost like they're trying to just make him go away. Like, yeah, all right, all right. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that, that would piss me off as well. Um, I, I don't know if we want to get, I, I was mentioning earlier how, this case, anytime I ever hear it, except from people that are just completely blindly pro Marvin, which I don't agree because two wrongs don't make a right. But um, typically the conversation is what Marvin is doing wrong and all the wrong decisions he made and why he should have taken the olive branch. He should have backed down. He could have just taken the money and run and never had to deal with this. But why is the conversation that and not why is a government overreaching their duties and their power? And why aren't they treating the land and the owners of the land who are both citizens of taxpaying citizens of this municipality? Why are they not treating them the same? What actions were the pinheads at, at the commissioners? Why were they pushing this man to this point? Why is that not the question? Why don't we talk? I, I don't understand that. Um, you can only poke a bear so long before it attacks you. And yeah. they were overreaching and being assholes about it. And maybe he did have some mental health issue at some point, like people suggest. But nobody Honestly, except for... 
I honestly don't think that he did. I don't think he did have a a mental health issue, but I I think you're exactly right. And I think the reason why in retrospect, Marvin is made out to be the bad guy or the agitator. First of all, he already had that status as being an outsider in the town, but it's because he took a a tank and caused $7 million worth of damage to the town. He made himself into the bad guy. Unfortunately, I don't think he had, you know, he had some foresight. He knew he needed to record uh, his tapes to say why he did this. He wanted the town to learn something to learn from its mistakes that you can't push people around and expect them not to push back. Uh, but now yeah. he's gone and he can't speak for himself beyond these tapes. And unfortunately the tapes, you know, people describe them as ramblings of a madman. I think that they're the, the ramblings of someone who's angry, but I don't think he, I don't think he had a mental illness at any point. And I'm not, I don't think so either. That's just my opinion. Go ahead. Not a single person in his life, except for one person who had a dispute with him. Uh, during it, uh, Oh my God. <laughs> a, it was like a business deal gone wrong. Essentially, one of his customers refused to pay for a muffler job. And that customer's wife said that um, Marvin had threatened her husband. Like, okay, well, you're not paying me. That is the only person who ever had anything bad to say about him. And uh, it just doesn't, the whole mental illness thing doesn't add up. I think that he just got pushed to a point where he was, he just, he was done. Um, I- I think that they yeah. also, some podcasts, and this really made me mad, is that they really go on and on and on and on about how he was on a mission from God. I don't think Marvin really, I think he said that, you know, he had this epiphany, like the way you described it, it's a perfect word for it. But I, I don't think that, although he was constantly testing God or asking God, I think he was looking for some kind of reassurance that he was doing the right thing. And anyone who mm-hmm. believes in God, does that every single day. It doesn't mean that we're mentally ill. It's it's like we're questioning ourselves. Are we on the right track? Are we meant to be doing this? And of course, the truth is, is that he was wronged. He was endlessly self-justifying. He had too much pride. He didn't realize that, you know, he should be meek. And, uh, you know, the Bible says the meek will inherit the earth. He should have left vengeance to God. Um, all these things are in the Bible, but I don't, I don't think that him communicating with God or having a, a moment where God was speaking to him I don't think that's a moment of mental illness. I think it's just, it's his ultimate self-justification saying God's on my side. And right, we say that as a country all the time. We always say that God's on our side. So are we mentally ill as a country when we say that? It's case in point. I know. Well, and the other thing that they talk about, um, which we'll get to in a minute, because we're almost to the end of the story, but um, one of the things that they talk about a lot in in one of the podcasts that you and I listened to was, uh, why didn't he just take the olive branch? Like, there was literally like he had all these other options to get out of this other than doing what he did. And to that, I say just because an option that you seem that you deem to be more peaceful is presented does not mean that the person has to take it. No, he doesn't have to back down. He doesn't have to sell his land. He doesn't have to listen to a tyrannical government. He doesn't have to do any of that. And him choosing to stand his ground, whether you agree with the outcome or not, I don't necessarily agree with how he handled it, but I'm not going to sit here and say that he should have done something, taken yeah. another option. Cause he doesn't have to now, no. like what you were saying, maybe he should have, he had too much pride and he should have recognized that, okay, this is the time where I need to be meek and just kind of like, sure. We could sit here and say that all day, but he doesn't, there's nothing saying that he had to. No, as a, as, as a citizen, you don't owe the government your compliance. Case in point, we just went through a terrible ordeal in the last three years where local governments, county governments, 
and other small governments were issuing ordinances that were not constitutional. And there -hmm. were many different kinds of ordinances and laws that were being issued that were not constitutional. Like, you're not free to assemble at a playground. That's against the First Amendment. You have freedom of assembly. Um, That was a town ordinance. And one of the jurisdictions I was in is that you're not allowed to go to the playground, which is ridiculous. The idea that you're not allowed to go outside and go to the beach. You know, we have free movement. We have free assembly. We have free speech. Uh, A lot of things were curtailed. And we didn't owe the government our our compliance with that. Um, Even in the Bible, it says, you know, in in Romans that you're supposed to, you know, respect the authority that God establishes on earth, right? You're supposed to be a good citizen, give unto unto Caesar what is Caesar's due, pay your taxes. Uh, But the government that I guess God established in the United States, if you want to say that God has a part of that, which I realize I sound a little bit like Marvin Hemeyer, but I believe that all of human history is essentially ordained by God, we do have our own free will. I don't want to like skip that caveat, but uh, the, the constitution is the, is the highest law of this land. We are not a nation of town councils. We're not a nation of men. We're not a nation of presidents. We're a nation where our highest law, our governing law is the constitution. So if I want to disobey an ordinance, I'm not in violation of the Bible because the highest governing body is the constitution. And that's, uh, I won't I won't violate the Constitution. You know, the the Constitution, of course, mostly restricts the government, which is why a lot of people don't like it. But I'm getting in a little into the weeds. So, Marvin, (laughs) uh, I I get I'm getting on a rant. We're officially demonetized. (laughs) It's relevant to the story because it puts things in into Marvin's mindset. And you're absolutely right. I think I'm speaking for Marvin. If Marvin had reached out and speak beyond the dead, he might agree with me on a lot. He might not agree with me on on a lot of things. Like, like I said, I don't condone Marvin thinking that God is on his side and I don't, uh, I, I actually, you know, I, I go to this one a lot. I think this is what makes us different than other podcasts though, is that I was, I worked in a prison for six years and I knew criminals there who were guilty of their crimes, but they weren't sorry for it. And the reason for that is that they had felt wronged. This guy reminds me of a guy named Schultz who was in prison. I believe his name was Schultz. He was in prison because he had a a disagreement with his landlady. I don't know what the nature of that disagreement was, but he put rat poison in her water softening tank and killed her. And he was never sorry for it. And if you asked him about it, he would explain why he he was wronged and he was not sorry for killing her. So it's that same kind of criminal thinking that Marvin has. I just think Marvin happened to be in the right when it comes to his property rights and being pushed around by a good old boy cronyism government. Uh, yeah. So he, yeah. he ends up he ends up selling the property, I think, to a third party for four hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars with a rental agreement that he can keep his bulldozer there. When it gets sold, of course, an inspector comes in, sees the bulldozer covered up with a big tarp, asks what it's about. He says, oh, "I'm." I'm refining the cooling system on this. The idea is that he's going to get it out of there in six months. He views this as, as another sort of uh, gauntlet that he's leapt through that someone could have stopped him from doing this. He takes up residence inside the shop, uh, sleeping all day during the work going on, being awake at night, watching the Vin Diesel movie, A Man Apart, which is a <laughs> yeah. movie that's, that's uh, I could understand why it appeals to him. And it's actually the same reason why Marvin Hemeyer appeals to people like me. Like You want to just write him off as this nut or whatever, this domestic terrorist. It is deeply rooted in our culture, the idea that like the government or the system is so corrupt that only one person can put it right. Batman, that is exactly what Batman is. Gotham City is so corrupt that the police can't do anything, the mayor can't do anything, but one person 
acting with with moral authority can put it right. It's the same thing with uh, the Punisher, and it's the same thing with Man Apart. Uh, this is about a guy that loses his family to crime, and uh, he goes on a, on a one-man mission to make it right. And I think that Marvin saw himself as as one of these. And so before you dismiss him as a nut, just remember every time you go to a Batman movie, you're basically assenting to the same idea that motivates Marvin. And law-abiding citizen, that's my favorite. And law-abiding citizen, yeah. Of that, uh, like, subgenre of movies that's my favorite one yeah the Same. uh the hero the anti-hero the the one guy who can who could put it right i mean there's tons of westerns that are the same idea that the law is feckless is feckless or or unable to do anything about these wrongdoers and that one one just person can fix the problem mm -hmm. marvin sees him as, as one of these so he uh he's a crafty guy he's been building special parts for uh snowmobiles and all this he's an expert welder he starts uh putting armor on this uh, bulldozer. He puts composite armor. It's made of uh, inches of steel and with concrete poured in between. Uh, here's a picture of it. Uh, it's a modified bulldozer. You can see he's got armor. It doesn't even have windows. He's got gun ports on the side. He put cameras in there so he can see outside. He's even got <laughs> little air puffers so that when debris falls on top of it, he can blow the debris off to keep his cameras clear. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll go ahead and show some specs. So this is an improvised fighting vehicle, Komatsu D3355A <laughs> bulldozer. Uh, unarmored, it weighs 49 tons. This according to, uh, I believe it's the online tank museum. And say that the unarmored, mm. this, this bulldozer weighs 49 tons. With armor, they estimated to be up to 61 tons. The eventual fate of the vehicle is that it was destroyed so that no one could make it as sort of a monument to Marvin Hemeyer, which I think is a tragedy because just as a feat of engineering, it's it's extremely interesting to say nothing about what it means to standing, standing up for your rights against an unjust government. I mean, um, to, to me, this is, uh, you know, I it's almost emblematic of... Uh, give me liberty or give me death uh, you know, <laughs> something like that we we have our our, our patriots and our, our statues of our minutemen and things like that of mm -hmm. washington monument and all that maybe it's not quite in that level but it is it is a monument to the idea that one man can say no right which is something that certainly all of us gun owners appreciate back to the bulldozer though it's got a 410 horsepower engine its top speed is 7.45 miles per hour. This is without armor on it. You go ahead and you add, you know, 10, 11 tons of armor. It's going to be quite a bit more slow. Its uh, horsepower per pound is going to be severely inhibited. So this thing's moving a lot more slowly. Uh, as far as armament, it's got a 50 caliber Barrette M82 semi-automatic rifle at the rear, a 5.56 millimeter semi-automatic rifle at the front. A 223 Ruger Mini 14 somewhere on the vehicle. It also has gun ports for small arms. He had two small uh, handguns inside. Uh, he did use one of these uh, firearms to attempt to shoot incendiary rounds at a propane tank, which frankly would have been amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, but uh, he didn't shoot anyone. So at, at some when he's going through the town, and I'll just start playing some footage as we continue to talk about that. As he goes through the town... You know, police officers are seeing him, confronting him. He's greased up this thing so they can't jump on top. There's obviously <laughs> there's no window. They're trying to get flashbang grenades in there. They can't do that. Uh, the thing's greased up. They can't get inside. There's no way of stopping it. In fact, I believe even the canopy on it, once it was lowered into place, it couldn't be opened again. No, he sealed uh, himself inside. He sealed himself inside. And 
the Killdozer, as it was named by other people aside from Marvin, he called it uh, the MK, which is uh, the Marvin uh, Kabatsu tank. Like it's he didn't he didn't give it a cool name, which we all probably would have loved for him to do. But he didn't <laughs> yeah. shoot anybody, right? So he's got police officers jumping in and around and jumping on top of this thing. He's got gun ports for for small arms. He's not taking aim at any of these police officers. Now, some sources say that, you know, he made specific threats uh, that he was going to harm or kill people in the town. The interesting thing is, is that you we actually don't have all the Marvin Hemeyer tapes in their entirety. You can only find pieces of them online. I don't know why it's been edited or released selectively. I know that Marvin doesn't like being edited. At one point, uh, he had written some letters and they were published in the newspaper and they'd been heavily edited to make him look like a bad guy, which is probably also partially why the town sentiment had turned against him at one point. Of but, course, of course. But uh, so he's got this uh, tank armored up and he's uh, he's basically, he's decided he's going to take on the town. He goes first to the concrete plant to the south where Cody Docheff sees this thing coming and stupid Cody grabs his own bulldozer and decides he's going to have a face <laughs> yeah. Which has to be, Cody, at some point, come on, man. This thing is clearly a tank. It's clearly armored up. It has your mortal enemy inside of it. Don't jump in your own bulldozer and try to take this thing on. I don't know if he was trying to lift it up so that it couldn't drive around. or, But they, they had some sort of bulldozer. Yeah. Uh, and he was trying with... to shoot at him at that point. Apparently. He did He did open fire on him, which was completely ineffectual. Like I said, this is a composite armor made of, of concrete and steel. Uh, later, after the engagement, uh, they couldn't even open it to get Marvin out for about 12 hours. Uh, he goes, yeah. he destroys He destroys the, the concrete plant. He goes and destroys the family home of the Thompsons. Was it the Thompsons? The former yeah. mayor Thompsons. And, and his two sons, I think, were either on the council or they were movers and shakers in town. They were Gary and Larry. Gary and Larry Thompson. <laughs> uh, he, he, he takes down the police department, which, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're pro-police. Uh, so I wish you hadn't done that, but uh, the police obviously is the face of the government. They're the enforcers of the government. I can see why he would see them as an enemy. Didn't shoot at any police officer, so. That's a whole other can of worms that we could talk about, by the way, at some point. Maybe not this podcast, but that's a topic that I'm very um, passionate about. Is uh, the Hemeyer versus the police or the police no. as the enforcers as the government? Correct, that that uh, people believe that law enforcement is some sort of extension of big government that's coming to like suppress you and, and oppress you. And uh, a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of, I, I was going to say a lot of the people that are very, um, no, I'm not going to say that. We'll, we'll talk about it another time. I was going <laughs> to, I was going to say, we should actually have that debate because I'm very pro police, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, when we just talked about these ordinances being made and being enforced by police officers when they're dragging people out of libraries for not masking up, at some point they become enforcers of that. And if you're a police officer and you're being given an unconstitutional law and going out there and enforcing it and then, you know, low key telling people like, dude, you've got to sue us to make a stop. Like, no, as a police officer, you can decide I'm, I'm not going to do this. You, you don't have to infringe on someone else's rights waiting for them to assert themselves. You can decide I'm not going to do the wrong thing. You have that agency for yourself. You can assume the risk yourself. And frankly, that's the right thing to do uh, not put it off of someone else while you're oppressing them. Kendra. I agree with that. And I, I believe there are exceptions, obviously, with the COVID stuff. There were some people that, um, you know, but I could also argue because I know what I would do. Um, 
but I would also argue that, you know, a lot of these people are probably thinking, um, this is not an excuse. I'm just playing devil's advocate. That I love it. They're looking down the barrel of um, losing all of their retirement and not having a job and not having benefits and they have children. Um, and what it, some people um, were a little desperate. And what what no. if a lot of you know a lot of law enforcement officers are a single come single income household because they just are and I don't know there's there's arguments to be made for and against it ultimately though you did take an oath to um, protect people's you know you're rights, right essentially I, I, so I mean I don't, I, I don't mean to say that it's an easy decision to make sure I, I, it's honestly the hardest decision but the right decisions are, are almost never going to be easy they're and always hard they're being, yeah they're they're being compelled with their pensions I understand they're being compelled with their living wage mm -hmm. I, I I understand that um I don't want to equate myself but at at my part-time job I was actually uh given that same decision where I had to take the vaccine or uh, I would be dismissed. And uh, they said, well, you know, you can qualify for a religious exemption. You mm -hmm. know, just tell us about that. And I and I thought about this a lot and I prayed about it. And I said, listen, I'm, I'm not going to go evoke the name of Christ to make it easier for me. This is a part time job. I can find another way. It, the right. decision would have been a lot harder if it was my main job. But I said, I'm not willing to 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 bring my God into this to justify something that I want to do. Like, I'm not going to go yeah. the Marvin Hebeyer way. And so I, I wrote this all up and I said, like, I don't qualify for this and for the following reasons. And I said, and uh, the, also these are concerns. And I said, well, you know, uh, my sister had a bad reaction to a vaccine that has left her with a, an autoimmune disorder. I said, I don't I don't believe uh, in the safety of the vaccine because of the haste at which it, and with which it was developed. I think all vaccines carry some inherent risk, um, mm -hmm. you know, things like that go wrong. I don't think anything's 100%. No matter how well-intentioned or, or how the vaccine may have existed before COVID, we're definitely be, being demonetized now. Uh, to me, it just... <laughs> oh, fuck. I, yeah, we're done. We, we're not making our uh, $8 on this video. Uh, but uh, it just, it's not worth it to me. So I would rather walk away than uh, assume this risk and I don't, I don't qualify. And they said, okay, we're giving you we're giving you an exemption based off of what you just said and i'm like cool so in other words you wanted a piece of paper from me so that you had this on file so that you could go to the federal government and say we've issued him an exception you wanted me to paper whip it the whole time if if this whole thing was just going to be a wink and a nod to the federal government could you have told me that they sent out this email to all these people yeah. and other people work for this company and uh, they're, they're full-time employees. It's where their actual income comes from. And they're told this and they're being put in this situation. If the whole thing was is like, we need to tell the feds that we're granting everyone exceptions, you need to do that. Um, but never before yeah, have I clear. had, when I put in my my time off when I when, or when I put in my notice, I didn't even mention the reason I was leaving. I just said, I'm, you know, it's been a good run mm -hmm. and I'm finished. My final day is this day. I had, I, had, I had very high up people reaching out to me and saying, hey, we need to do this instead. I just, I could not believe that. And it's just yeah. like, well, this just shows you how poorly you handled it and how ridiculous well, that, that whole, that whole time was. Go ahead. Yeah. I just want to make a clarification that, um, I, <laughs> when, I, when COVID started, I was a law enforcement officer in Florida and, uh, we were very blessed to have a governor who basically was like, no, nah, that's not happening here essentially. Um, and I just want to make sure that <laughs> this is known that I am not one of those people that would have, uh, I, if I was forced to, um, 
enforce mandates and things like that. I would be leaving. I would have left law enforcement as well for that reason. So I just want to put that out there. I um, just understand the argument of the everyday because law enforcement officers, in my opinion, are blue collar workers. They're not making a bunch of money. They're civil servants, quote unquote, I guess, if you want to call it that. They're government, they're government uh, employees. So I understand. I just understand the argument. That's all. Not saying it's right or wrong. The ultimate right. point of the job is to uphold the Constitution and protect people. So at the end of the day, yes, like you said, the right decision is a hard one. Just want to throw that out there before I get a bunch of hate mail and DMs. Guys, don't, <laughs> don't, send, hate, don't, don't send hateful DMs to Kendra. Uh, <laughs> I, I know that she looks like a hippy-dippy liberal, but uh, she... Uh, <laughs> Thanks. She's a good egg. She's got some good ideas. Uh, there's a reason why she and I get along so well. Like, like I have clearly outed myself as a <laughs> almost a Ted Kaczynski sympathizer, and uh, she and I get along great. So, uh, don't send her any 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 hate mail. I think she was absolutely right to say that it's that it's a new, that it's a very uh, complex argument. You can't just say, "Man, you got to go do what's right and f the man" and all this. Like. No, we're talking about little kids having something to eat. You, you as a provider, uh, as someone who's working as a police officer, putting food on the table. I think it's the easiest thing is to say is that it, well, you just walk away from from that and do what's right. Of course, you should, but you should understand that it's a burden to those people in that decision, and the people that made the opposite decision, the ones who decided to get the vaccine and to enforce those ordinances. We should forgive them. We should not. We should not build a tank and destroy uh, the police station. Uh, I was going to say fuck you, but. <laughs> You said forgive them. <laughs> well, you, you don't approve of, of what kidding. they did. You don't have to approve of what they did. And you don't have to come around to their way of thinking. But, you know, you need to forgive them and, and see what motivated them rather than just straight up demonizing them. Um, yeah. At least also, understand them. What yeah. makes me mad is that the people don't understand Mar uh, Marvin yeah. Hemeyer, but he had a point of view as well. Go ahead. I was just going to say also a lot of the examples that I was given when I had these arguments with people were... Um, examples that weren't even in the United States. So please make sure if you're going to use body cam and examples of, of cops being Nazis that you're actually talking about American cops. Just going to throw that out there. Yeah. Don't, don't show me Australian or New Zealand police or Canadian or, or Canadian, Canadian police. Uh, if you're trying to make a point <laughs> about the constitution. So anyway, Marvin Heemeyer's yes. uh, or, or policing Marvin Heemeyer's in this armored bulldozer. He's going around town. He also levels city hall. This is one thing that makes him look very bad. The, the public library was adjoined to City Hall. And unfortunately for Marvin, uh, the the library happened to be full of, of kids at that point. Um, so that was one thing that, that made him look bad was is that yeah. he's attacking a library and, and there's kids there. But he didn't know. He didn't, not, know. Not he didn't an excuse, know and he couldn't have just... known. It's not an excuse because yeah. obviously there you're you're is an inherent risk in armoring a bulldozer and driving it around town. Yeah. He didn't he didn't he didn't hurt anyone. There was a business that he kind of caused some damage to. I think he couldn't see where he was going at one point. Maybe his vision was occluded by some debris or something. So mm -hmm. um he wasn't he wasn't perfect in his plan to just exact revenge on only his enemies. Uh, at one point he's attacking a hardware store. This is where the weight of the tank comes into it. He goes into the store. Unaware that the store has a basement, as you can imagine, the, the the code for a common basement is not this should be able to hold up 49 tons of, of tank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so uh, he collapsed into the basement. At that point, the tank was unable to extricate itself. Marvin, knowing he was never coming out of this thing, you know, that it was designed, it was sealed with him inside. Mm -hmm. He took his own life. 
Um, he, I think he knew this was going to happen. He had he was beginning to sever relationships with people. Uh, he had done things with his. Uh, he had separated from his girlfriend of nine or ten years uh, over a you know a quibble. Uh, he was getting rid of his uh, his property, his assets. He had sold everything off. He'd sold his snowmobiles. Like I said, we, he got rid of his property. He devoted himself to this mission. Inside of the logic of him completing his mission, I think everything he did was was logical. And I think most people don't understand a man committed to at least his version of right and wrong as he was. Most of us are pragmatists and we'll throw in the towel at some point and saying this just isn't worth it. Marvin didn't have any quit in him which I think is an admirable quality. And I think if Marvin had been fighting for something other than himself and what were slights against him, I think he would have been viewed as a, as a much more honorable man. This is someone who, if he was fighting this hard for his country, he would be a hero, but because he was fighting for himself and his own slighted pride and his, his sense of uh, being wronged, uh, maybe not as, maybe not as honorable, but he's, he's a hero. Uh, to uh, conservatives and people who don't generally don't like government as someone who stood up. He's a domestic terrorist to other people. And and what I, but most of all, what I don't like about criticism is that people say he was a nutcase. I don't think he was crazy at all. Mm -mm. I don't think so either. I, I, there's literally nothing to, and it's quite possible that he could have been, and we just don't know. But um, like I said earlier, you can only poke a bear for so long. And you and I have both been in situations where we've been um, fucked with by pinhead government. And um, tell, I, I don't know what your story is exactly, but, you know, uh, mine was over a fence, which is wild. The amount of bullshit that I had to go through for that. Um, I remember saying while the process was happening, I understand Killdozer. The more mm -hmm. I go through this, I understand why. Mm -hmm. And I only dealt with it for like eight months which is a ridiculous a ridiculous amount of time to spend over a fence, but I was trying to do things the right way. And they make it very impossible to be reasonable with certain things. Um, do I think that Marvin took it to an extreme? Yes. Do I condone him for putting other people's lives at risk that had nothing to do with it? No, I don't think he should have done that. But I do understand why he got to that point. And um, mm -hmm. that's why I don't understand. That's why I get mad when we don't, why are we not holding the city of Granby accountable for this? They're the ones that pushed him to that point. Why is it all on Marvin? Yeah. Why are you unreasonably uh, fighting somebody a hundred dollars a day? Right. For every My, day. They don't... <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. That, that was clearly uh punitive. They were punishing him. In my case, yeah. it was this, I had a, and there's extraneous details that make this story more ridiculous. But in my state, I've got to, you have to get water, personal watercraft, unpowered watercraft over 10 feet or 13 feet or whatever it is. You have to get them registered like a car. Mm -hmm. And so that's state law. So who, who's going to enforce that? Well, if I go to a lake and I'm on a kayak and it's too long, a conservation officer is someone who could cite me for that. Having an unregistered kayak. Who registers it? county treasurer so now we're at two different levels of government i go down to the county register i go to the treasurer's office and i say i would like to register a kayak they didn't know how to do that so it's like so <laughs> this is a state law and like i'm making a request that is insane to them they don't know how to do it so we got a couple problems we've got 
the make and the model. We don't have a year of manufacture because this is a secondhand kayak. I don't know. To register a kayak, you need everything that you need to register a car. So we don't have a, a year of manufacture. I don't have any way of finding that out. We don't have a VIN. There is such a thing as an owner applied number where you can put in a number and have it inspected and all this. It's a lot to do for a kayak. Finally, also in this transaction of registering it, we were doing it as a sale. And this is kind of where I was doing the Cody Dochev thing where it was my kayak, but I was selling it to a friend so we could get it registered. And so we believed that we would have to pay some kind of tax on it, which whatever. Uh, we pay taxes when you register a car. There's an excise tax on a kayak. Uh, historically, this has been the case in my state. I understand that if I say this to you, it will sound crazy to you, whatever state you're in, but this is what small states are like. And the practice isn't even allowed here anymore. But when I moved here, this was allowed. You would sell a car for a dollar so that the excise of that would be some amount of pocket change. The state would get change from that. So I, I said to the treasurer, like, I'm selling this to him for one dollar. Well, she says, well, the state won't allow that. I'm like, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, that's not a reasonable price to pay for a car. What is reasonable, Karen? I don't know. This is actually the moment where I was the most Marvin Heemeyer and where courthouse security like was called. What's what's the reasonable amount? Is it ten dollars? Is it a hundred dollars? Is it a million dollars? I don't know. What is it? And she goes, Well, I just I don't know. I'm like, Well, I don't know either. I'm being confrontational. And uh we we are eventually like asked to leave. <laughs> We did get it registered, which is bad. Uh, I won't go into all the details of this, uh, be just because I'm still, I'm still employed in the criminal justice system. But like, I wasn't rude or anything. I didn't use any names, but like, it was, it was, there was bad blood. It was confrontational. Later, my friend goes back without me because I realize I can't fix the situation. Me appearing in person is just going to be provocative, and he's able to fix it and get it all done and get it figured out without me being an a-hole. Like I was being a jerk. The worst part about it is that it's a flat fee for a kayak. <laughs> the amount that you're selling it for doesn't matter. It's just 12 bucks. So uh, it, was, it was all for no reason. And uh, then at the end of it, the kayaking trip was canceled. So everything that I had attempted to accomplish that day was for no reason. So it was one of those where if I had just stayed in bed, I would have been better off. So that was me uh, tilting at windmills. Are you still awake? Oh my God. Yes. No, I'm just, I'm. That interaction just brought flashbacks of my, the just the absolute um, stupidity and lack of uh, independent thinking and intelligence and using critical thinking and deduction skills in, in, a local government like that um yeah. and i'm not trying well, to shit i'm not trying to shit on anybody who works in local government but i just in my experience every person that i've dealt with if you're not operating within this box yeah they don't know what to do and they get and, mad about it yeah she was mad they, that, that i was asking well, her to do something she didn't know how to do yeah yeah it's like um the amount oh god uh, yeah my, I, didn't mean, my I, didn't mean to activate, just... I didn't mean to activate your PTSD. <laughs> and I will say this is this is something that's interesting for me, right? So as a as a treasurer, someone works in the treasurer's office, someone comes to you with a, with an asymmetrical problem. I need to perform a function that you don't know how to do and that you don't know anything about. 
This is actually state law. I require your services to complete this in order for me to begin in compliance. So she couldn't do it. She was immediately defensive. Uh, and, and I get how, how like it could bother her ego that she needed me to do something that she didn't know how to do. That's when you just go and ask the actual treasurer because that Thank person you. is an elected official. And if she can't do it, then she needs to figure out how to do it. Uh, she didn't have, but because of her pride though, she didn't want to kick it up the ladder or say like, oh, let me go ask the treasurer how we do that. Cause I've never come across this before. As a 911 dispatcher, you're also a County employee. I, the pay grade is probably comparable to someone that in the treasurer's office at some point. People call me every day with an asymmetrical problem that I don't necessarily know the law on, or I don't necessarily know what to do. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an attorney. I don't know the ins and outs of every single problem. But when someone calls me, my job is as a problem solver. It's not mm -hmm. my job to know everything. It's no, it's to know how to how to solve problems or how to find an answer. And I think that's the primary difference, if I may speak up on behalf of 911 dispatchers, is we're not the typical county employee mm -hmm. because we deal with open-ended problems. We solve problems. That's what we exist for. I think we're, us and police officers, we're the ultimate public service. And I think that's what separates us from uh, pettier and more bullshit parts of government. Not to, not to put down treasurer's office because they have a vital function to fulfill too, but if they can't do their job, you know, th these are the government employees you don't like working with. Whereas I think if you call 911 or ask a police officer to help you, uh, you know, we're the, I think we're kind of in an, an, a different magnitude of civil service. So just mm -hmm. put that out there. So I don't get yeah. called a hypocrite as a County employee, uh, shitting on County employees is big, not good at their job. <laughs> Speaking of shitting on other people, though, did you want to go to our my favorite segment, which is other p other podcasts' stupidest takes? I said to you, I don't want to, I don't want to come across like this is all we do is shit on other podcasts. And you said you want to shit on people. Let's do it. Uh, well, it was just last week at the BTK, <laughs> like the the, the BTK stuff. They uh, the podcast we were listening to, they actually didn't have a lot of anti police takes, which was surprising because you had an unsolved case for 30 years. You have this bumbling idiot BTK going around killing children and killing people, doing all this terrible stuff. The police were ineffectual in capturing him, obviously, for 30 years, which you would think there would be some sort of criticism there. Uh, but they weren't critical of him. So I, I just nitpicked at them because I, I didn't want to abandon the segment really one weekend. We had just done it. And then we were like, well, we don't have one for this <laughs> week. So okay. I will uh, just, I will say up front, sometimes I'm going to just shit on you just because that's our mode and uh, I'm being petty about it. And uh, so when, like when I, when I was going after that podcast about uh, Hydrox or Mr. Pib, those were not legitimate criticisms. So I think people could tell. Plus, I was I was saying diligence, so I don't. I think if anything, it just made me look like an a hole. So I don't. I don't if you that, anybody who watches this show or or this network in general and is familiar with your works will understand that you're just being you're a very dry, sarcastic person. So if they can't pick up on that. Then I don't know what to tell you. It is yeah. what it is. From one episode, you're probably not going to get the whole me, which is okay. Uh, but let's. <laughs> Let's go to our uh, special segment on True Crime Tuesday, which is called Other Podcast Stupidest Takes. And it's slow, right? It is very slow. And heavy. Yeah. It weighs 85 tons. Oh, wow. The dozer. And I, I don't think I wrote this down, and I don't know why, but I'm pretty sure I saw somebody say that is the equivalent to 90 double-decker buses. Oh like God. the buses you'd see in London. I was going to say, was, was it a British person that said that? <laughs> okay, so when I first heard her say 85 tons, <laughs> I was like, wow, that's way too heavy. 
you wouldn't be able to drive it down the street without it ripping up asphalt. Sure enough, uh, M1 Abrams main battle tank operated by the United States Army is only 61 tons. So it's still impressive that Marvin Hemeyer was able to get his tank up to about 61 tons, which is yeah. just what they estimate. Uh, she said it was 85 tons, which is uh, quite a bit heavier. I don't know where she got that number. It's obviously wrong. The sources I saw uh, went from its uh, un unarmored weight of 41 up to about 61 tons. Obviously, it was dismantled, so we can't just put it on a scale now. She also said that this was the same as 90 double-decker buses. I did the math on that. If you divide 90 tons by 85 buses and they come out to 1.5 tons per bus, your car usually weighs about one between one and two tons. So I knew that yeah. was wrong. <laughs> so I looked up the weight of these uh, these new ones going out in London now. Uh, they actually weigh closer to 14 tons. The reason I bring this up is uh, not to quibble about the weight of the tank or the weight of these buses, but you can tell this person, despite saying that they read from a lot of sources, is just getting basic facts wrong. Now, I won't attest to the fact that I didn't make any, any mistakes in all the foregoing. Like I said, just send me a message. I'll correct whatever I said wrong. But uh, she, the presenter of this case even says she listened to all the Marvin Hemeyer tapes, and, I, and, I, and they're not all available. And she also makes several mistakes about Marvin Hemeyer, which we'll get to in a second. But this is case in point. She's just getting the math wrong. And, she's, and it's obvious that a bus is not going to weigh 1.05 tons. It's obvious that this tank that he's improvising is not going to weigh 85 tons. And just a little bit of research, a little bit of diligence will show you <laughs> That these numbers can't be correct, but we'll right. we'll go we'll go on with uh, their next failed points. This is about the name of the documentary, I believe, that they were talking about what it was called. Tread. Oh yeah, uh, that yeah. the documentary tread and the tapes were worth shouting mm -hmm. out because it's really where the bulk of the information comes from. I I was going to comment on the name of the documentary, tread. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, I just feel like someone could accidentally watch that and be like, oh, I think I want to watch something about running. <laughs> I can see that. It's just, you know, you'd be in for a surprise, I think. <laughs> I want to say they named it Tread because, and, and we'll talk about this whole mm -hmm. story, but because the tracks that mm -hmm. the dozer left were so present and they mm -hmm. stayed in the town, you know, for some amount oh, of no. time after. So it was like oh. a constant reminder. So I thought, I think they were trying yeah. to be like witty with a name like that. That makes sense. Thank no, you. No, it does. Thank no, it you. doesn't. You would have named the documentary Tracks if it was a re if that's what you were talking about. You wouldn't have named it Tread. In fact, he caused seven million dollars of damage to the town, including demolishing the police department, the library, city hall, the ex mayor's house, this concrete <laughs> plant. By the time they fixed all of that, the tread marks were probably long since gone. The damage that he caused to the city elsewhere was a lot more than these uh, tracks being caused by these eighty-five ton tanks. And this tread, what you don't see displayed on the on the screen, if you're just listening, is the Gadsden flag. It says, don't tread on me. Thank I you. I think that the, the authors of this uh, documentary saw that this was Marvin's ethos. Don't tread on me. Don't mess mm -hmm. with me. Leave me alone. The coiled snake just wants to be left alone. Uh, it's the, um, the, like I said, the ethos of, uh, uh, of a libertarian mindset. He doesn't like big government. He wants people <laughs> to leave him alone. The tank has treads on it, so it's a play on words. Uh, so that, so I think that was a very stupid take, and I think you're not it's, aware of the Gadsden flag. Yeah, I when I was listening to them because I've seen the documentary, and when I saw the documentary and knew what it was about, I immediately was like, "Oh, don't tread on me!" Not tread like the like your tread. Uh, it, 
it's it's dumb. And then the the running comment. I'm not trying to like really nitpick and and shit on anybody, but like, come on, what? Nope. Literally, no one thinks. No one thought that. That's not funny. No one. No one thought it was a running documentary. No literally, one no one thought it was a running. And think, oh, that must be about running. So I think that that was just a really tick. I'm not saying you're stupid for saying that. I just think you shouldn't have said that. It also and, makes sense because later they're like, I don't know anything. I don't know anything about guns. I don't know anything about this. I don't know anything about that. So they just clearly aren't in that mindset. But yeah, that if you actually watch the documentary, which she claims that she did and that she claims that's where she got the bulk of her information. So I don't know how she could be wrong if that's if she got her information from a very reliable source, but whatever. Um, you would I don't know how you wouldn't pick up on that, but that's just me. Yeah. It, it, if we're not being demonetized for everything we've said so far, if YouTube could scan the graphics and see the Gadsden flag, we're definitely in trouble now. I'm very likely to have uh, someone show up and park outside my house now for posting this on YouTube. <laughs> some, kind of, some kind of watch list. Uh, no, me too was, now. It, thanks a lot. And you didn't warn me this was going to happen. So it's fine. Uh, it's true. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't care. <laughs> well, whatever. Uh, there's still just be a very boring person. So uh, whatever. Yeah. So anyway, yes, to me, it's very obvious that it's uh, don't tread on me. It was a, a very st stupid take, in my opinion. And, you know, we're a live show. Like we just record this off the cuff. We do the best we can. Uh, this podcast we were listening to, they do it in that same style, but they are a pre-recorded show. So someone at some point should have said like, yeah, that part about me saying that it was a running documentary. Can we just cut that out? Because that was a dumb thing to say. Uh, I'm sure that they are edited and I can't imagine what they're taking out if they're leaving takes like that in. Uh, I'll go to our last point, which is just about how these podcasters fundamentally do not understand. I don't think they understand male psychology at a fundamental level, just like basically what makes dudes tick, but they definitely don't understand someone fighting uh, for principles, however misguided they are. So I'll go and play this last part uh, where they just, they don't understand uh, for, that for him, it's not about the money. It's mm. about sending a message. But you're right. He could have just left. He could have taken the four hundred thousand yeah. dollars, and he could have left. That's a a great cash out option. Mm -hmm. Well, or just like not have sold it. I mean, if he needed the money for yeah. the enhancements, fine. But I'm just thinking like he's he did it, and he just made it harder on himself. It's like if I could sneak around and get this done, like God <laughs> wanted me to do it. Was was he just trying to add to his? <clears throat> bizarre i think yes. we're past logic at this point yeah i'm yeah i'm trying to make sense out of nonsense mm -hmm. so yeah it's not gonna work out for me uh i didn't stick it in my pocket i gave it away you know it's gone because now money means nothing to me i've given my house away i do not need this cabin here in grand lake i've given my snowmobiles i've given those away this year everything is gone what i own is just going to be a pittance compared to what I'm going to take. But hopefully the community will learn something from this. So the words you just heard at the end there were Marvin himself. Mm -hmm. um, it couldn't be more clear that for him, uh, what really matters is the principle of it. Despite the fact that they claim that they listen to this or that they... Uh, they, they're sitting there mocking him again for saying that, that God was on his side or that God was uh, sending him on this mission. They constantly harp on that, which, I, again, I don't believe that, that God was on Marvin's side, but they constantly use that to paint him like a lunatic, 
to paint him like an illogical person. And like I said to Marvin, it, it, it made sense. And if you're going to do a story about someone, you should try to understand him. And as far as the male psychology, I'll tell you this, this is something I've experienced a little bit in the past decade. And as you get older, your frame of reference starts to change about what's important to you. I think when you're in your 20s and your 30s, living, living that good life, acquiring things, I think that's something that you go out and do. But as you get older, you realize that like the things in your life are not what your life is about. It's not about stuff. It's not about experiences. It's not about owning a house or snowmobiles. Eventually, your life gets to be about what is it that you stand for? And he just spent 12 years uh, being bullied by the power brokers in this town and the government in this town and not getting a fair shake and not being apologized to and not having his concerns about his treatment ever being addressed. Uh, this podcast completely ignored the fact that he, the, that he was wronged and that someone owed an, owed an apology just for mistreating him. And so that they, they dismiss him as saying that, you know, that uh, he, he has no logic left. That he's not making any, any reasonable decisions because he didn't take the money and run. He wanted to, uh, he wanted to have a good death. He wanted to fight for what he believed in. He wanted to fight for what he what he saw was was justice for himself. Like I said, it's not the best cause because you're not fighting for someone else or you're not fighting for your country, but you are fighting for a principle, at least as he sees it. And I just think it was a stupid take that that they could never understand that. I think it was a superficial pass at the life and person that was Marvin. And it was just too bad. So that was my, my yeah. final stupid take from them. I think a lot of people... Um... I'll make this short, but because <clears throat> I could talk about this for hours. But when initially, when you said um, the male psychology, you know, in my mind, I'm like, okay, women get there too, but not nearly. I think I have a leg up because circling it back to a law enforcement perspective, um, you see people in that realm of desperation and to the point where they're ready to just do whatever it takes a lot. Cause that's when you're showing up to horrible crime scenes or acts against spouses or whatever. And, um, when you live a very easy sheltered life because you are a citizen of the United States, um, and you don't understand that, or you refuse to try to even open your mind to the possibility that someone might not think the same way that you do. <clears throat> it's hard for a lot of the, um, the people that have these podcasts uh, to understand that whether or not it's because they're not men or because they just haven't had the opportunity to see a desperate man who has done atrocious things or is about to do atrocious things. It's just um, your world perspective changes a, a lot. And I think that's why I'm able to understand uh, while we're able to understand his, his thought process a little better. Um, I also think that, unfortunately, um, there are a lot of, in the true crime genre, there's a lot of, uh, for whatever reason, it attracts a lot of, um, trying to choose my words carefully, but wieners, essentially. Well, I think I think you're <laughs> right. You know, you, they're, they're attracted to the true crime genre because they don't have what it takes to enter that world themselves. They get to enjoy it vicariously through a podcast. Case in point, they're not tough enough or physically fit enough, or they don't have the capability of getting onto a police department. They don't have the sustained interest to do it as a way of life for them. You know, it's 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 a pastime. Uh, they don't have what it takes to to actually be in that world, to stand up against 
the people like BTK or other other evil sources, whether that's uh, a murderer or uh, you know an active shooter or a rapist, and so they can't enter that world. They can only join it vicariously. And so they listen to these podcasts and they develop this self-image of I'm an armchair detective. I'm an amateur sleuth. I'm someone that uh, can objectively see the reason in someone like Marvin Hemeyer's uh, situation. But uh, ironically, it's totally without empathy. They're not putting themselves in someone else's shoes. They're not seeing what it's like to be a police officer to try to find Brandon Swanson out in the middle of a field or what it's like uh, to be a police officer and uh, having to go into a house and see a little girl hanging from a pipe, you know. They, 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 they're wannabes, but they, they also can't do it. And uh, it kind of puffs them up. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, uh, there was a claim made by a podcast that the only reason Gabby Petito was solved because of the true crime community. They have a very, very, very inflated view of themselves. They think that they're part of the, they almost think they're part of the solution. They think that they're part of the criminal justice system. Um, I heard a podcast, a, an advertisement for a podcast the other day that almost made me like drive off the road because it made me insane. It was an ad for a true crime podcast, and they wanted to tout it as we get we get the story from all angles. We'll tell you the story and we'll bring on experts in the criminal justice system and experts in the social justice system. What is that? What the fuck is the social justice system and what is a social justice expert aside from someone who's a true crime podcast person who decides something's unfair, so they're going to take their time during which they're not being employed and go outside and protest and burn down a police precinct or whatever. So there, there is this idea that they're either part of the criminal justice system or the social justice system. The idea that uh, that they were de demanding so justice for Gabby Petito or anyone else, uh, the, the, they're weenies, like you said. Uh, they don't know what it is to fight for a real cause, to put themselves in harm's way. Uh, to lay aside all their assets, to cut ties with people in their lives, to get deployed uh, overseas because they're weenies. That's why they like true crime. Again, apologies to the audience. I am not a police officer. I was never in the military. So I qualify for weenie status even more than Kendra does here. But uh, the, the people hey. who are <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how much of a weenie you are. I, I don't think that you are. I don't think I could even take you in a fight. Uh, <laughs> I, I know that Drew and I fought this past April at the next FTS meetup. There will be tickets sold to you and me fighting for sure. Uh, it, it'll be it'll be a brawl for it all because the, they know about all of our bad blood between us. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I, not to belabor the point, but I think that they are weenies and they don't know anything about real life. That's why true yep. crime appeals to them. And uh, just one last comment. And then, because I'm looking at the time, and uh, Drew, uh, we're going to end it soon, I promise, for the Jeez, sake of Drew. Drew. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> um, when you said, when you were talking about the uh, the true crime people inflating themselves as some sort of um, bringers of justice, I, I just have to stop and ask them, what what are what have you actually done? What um, steps have you actually taken to? <clears throat> solve an, a crime, help solve a crime other than plaster your face all over Instagram and go on a soapbox about how much you care about a victim and how, how fucked up you think it is that police don't care. What does that do? You're plastering a, a, a phone number that anyone can Google for a missing person's um, or a tip line. Good for you. What are you doing? 
to fix the actual issue that you do nothing but bitch about. You're not doing anything except getting views and getting money. You don't go out and search for these people. I have yet to see a podcaster go out and volunteer to search for a missing person. I have yet to see any sort of podcaster be an advocate for laws to be changed. I have yet to see any podcaster um, even just go on a fucking ride along. Um, so to that, I say wieners, wieners all. I've been on two ride alongs. Uh <laughs> you don't count john you're not a wiener no i don't i count kendra now let me ask you this just uh to drive home your point through sarcasm as a police officer when you had an open case i'm sure that you sat around thinking ah we could just let this one go and then you would open up instagram you're like damn these people just won't let this go i guess i better go i guess i better go investigate huh because these people on instagram and these podcasters they're inflamed and the news won't shut up about it. So I guess I better go out there and do something, right? Um, every every morning at briefing, we would have to listen to one of these podcasts just to just to keep our head in the game, um, to remind us why we actually put the uniform on every day. Yeah. And and how to be a police officer. Exactly. Just in case we forgot. That was our entire training uh, was just listening to Morbid and um, uh, or whatever. Sorry, mystery podcast. Damn. I didn't mean to. <laughs> Bleep it out, John. I can't, I don't know if I could bleep it out at this point. All right. Okay. No, I, I love it when you take it when you take a stance. It reminds me of why I married you. And you taking a stance is why you divorced me. Folks, failure to stop is a full family of podcasts. A loving, trusting family of podcasts. So on Sunday, you can watch uh, Night Shift TSI. That's with Anthony Ramondi. He talks about conspiracies and paranormal activity, all the weird shit that you love. Then on Monday night, you got uncuffed with Jade Roller White. And they break down police pop culture news. He's a comedian. It's pretty hilarious. Tuesdays, us. We're holding down the show on Tuesdays with true crime. On Wednesday, all the news that's fit to rip with dead leg media. He'll tell you everything you need to know to stay informed as a well-rounded person. On Thursdays, it's the Com Center with me and Drew Breezy. We talk about uh, 911 stuff. I think we're taking this week off, though. It's Thanksgiving. I can't imagine that Drew will want to do a show that will be presented to no one rather than watch the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> Beat the Washington Redskins. Uh, that's at uh, 3.30 Central this Thanksgiving. And then uh, Friday, again, I don't think there'll be a show this week because it's Thanksgiving, but uh, we do big case breakdowns, uh, stories from the Thin Blue Line. Former police officers Drew Breezy, Eric Tanzi talk about what's going on in the news and uh, modern society through the lens of the police department, which has been silenced by the modern media and why even though it's three years after George Floyd, Kendra and I are still getting worked up about 2020 and what happens to police officers. <laughs> uh, we encourage you to support the podcast. You can do that through our sponsors, like we mentioned. But if you're listening to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a five-star rating and review. We would appreciate that. Uh, you can also uh, support us, uh, follow us on Instagram and other platforms. Uh, we appreciate you. Uh, guns up. Giddy up. Good night, America. Stay safe. Until next time, whatever you do, don't get yourself true crimed.